Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Canadian Revolution, a podcast by Fightback, the Marxist voice of labor and youth. We live in a revolutionary epoch. The crisis of the capitalist system is creating political polarization and instability in every single country, as millions of people look for a way out. The product of this is unprecedented social upheaval and yes, revolution. Now we firmly believe that the crisis of capitalism is creating the conditions for socialist revolution. Yes, even in Canada. The point of this podcast is to provide a Marxist analysis of what Trotsky described as the molecular process of socialist revolution. This week in the Canadian Revolution, we are back. I apologize, we've taken a long break. We've been very, very, very busy, but for good reason. Uh, one of the reasons we were very busy is we had the Montreal Marxist Winter School, which we talked about at the last podcast we had in, back in January, which was an absolute fantastic success. It was massive. It was the largest one that we have ever held, the first one in person in three years. Um, yeah, we had over 400 people there. Um, it was absolutely, uh, it was, uh, we couldn't fit everybody in the main room, actually. We had to have overflow rooms. Um, so yeah, that was a good problem to have. But yeah, that was a great discussions. Um, we already talked about all the, all the presentations that we had, but really, really high level discussions uh, on the theme of the Revolutionary Party. And a lot of people came away just uh, learn, having learned a lot and really excited to get involved uh, and so that was very good. So if you weren't able to attend and you weren't able, or, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it. Um, well, we do have, if you go on our website, marxist.ca, you can catch up. All the sessions are on YouTube. We're also putting up uh, versions online on our podcast with the uh, translation edited out for ease of listening. Um, so yeah, you're able to go there and listen to every single one of the presentations if you missed it. Um, but yeah, that was one of the reasons why we were busy. Uh, um, but yeah, we are back now, um, and we have some things to discuss. This week, we will, we will be discussing Chinese interference in, in, in Canadian elections. Uh, or is there interference? I guess we're actually going to actually get to the root of it, whether or not there is or not, because it's sort of hard to tell by reading the media. There's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, you may have noticed there is a lot of rumors, all sorts of stories over the past couple of months in the media. Um, sort of talking about some sort of elaborate network of Chinese operatives to undermine Canadian democracy, uh, especially with regards to the last two elections. Um, so yes, we're going to get into this today and discuss a Marxist analysis of this, all the ins and outs of what's going on, what isn't actually happening, um, and what we can do about it. With me today to discuss this issue, uh, I have uh, Ted Sprague, who's an activist with the International Marxist Tendency. Um, yeah, welcome, Ted. Thank you for having me, Joe. Yeah, so I don't know. Why don't we just start with what is going on? A lot has been going on in the past two months. If you pay attention to the news, actually, you cannot avoid that. That's the whole idea, right? You see in the past few months, starting about in February, littered all over the media, news about Chinese interference in Canadian elections, federal provincial, even municipal. And really no one can escape this barrage of news. Suddenly it seems that you see that yourself, Chinese agents are somehow everywhere. You have an atmosphere of xenophobia, very dangerous atmosphere of xenophobia is being created. To the extent, actually the recent polls show that 90% of Canadians are concerned about Chinese interference in Canadian society. And truly, I, I see this as very sophisticated campaigns. You know, have a constant barrage of news, insinuation without facts, rumors. You got unnamed sources from CSIS, unconfirmed, never cross-checked. And really, for lay people, for regular Canadians, it's hard to dissect this barrage of news and to make head or tails of this news. And, uh, and this is, I think, the situation where we're in today. Uh, so we're trying to, uh, I guess, through this discussion, hopefully see uh, what's actually happening uh, and provide a perspective for our listeners today about what's behind this Chinese electoral 
interference, this whole propaganda about this. Yeah, so well, you mentioned CSIS. So yeah, what? So this CSIS seems to be the source of this, or mm -hmm. unnamed anonymous CSIS agents writing articles in the Globe and Mail <laughs> and yes. other news sources. Uh, so yeah, uh, I don't know. Do you want to speak to that? Like, what is going on here? CSIS is a secret. It's supposed to be secret, actually. I believe the the head of CSIS said it's kind of like Fight Club. The first rule is you don't talk yeah. about it. But now you have the secret spies, basically, leaking information to the media um, about this. But, yeah, what are they actually... Uh, well, we can get into CSIS in a minute, but what are they actually saying? Well, it started in uh, reporting by The Globe in mid-February. So there's a leak from the CSIS of a top circuit CSIS report. But this report actually has already been shared with government officials and with other spy agencies. And in essence, what the documents are saying is the following, that the Chinese government tried to ensure that a minority liberal government was returned in 2021. And that certain conservative candidates identified by China as you know, anti-Chinese uh, were defeated because of this. And how did the uh, Chinese government do this? Well, it said that the Chinese diplomats, their proxies backed the elections of Justin Trudeau liberals only just to have another minority government and work to defeat conservative politicians considered to be unfriendly to the Beijing. So that's basically the whole gist of it. And really, uh, at the end of the article, this is quite interesting, right? At the end of the article, despite all this UN cry about Chinese attempt to interfere in the election, the CSIS director himself, David Bicknell, told Mr. Trudeau that there was really no indication that Chinese interference efforts had helped to elect any of them, despite their attempts to promote the campaign on social media, uh, etc. But of course, this, I think, very important piece of information is left out at the very end of an article as an afterthought without any more comments, whereas the whole article is just talking about how unprecedented it is for Chinese to try to influence politicians. But again, we see that the point of this leak from CSIS is not to tell the truth, it's to shock, you know, to, to, to disorient people. Now, this is followed immediately by another explosive report, you may say, from the Global News a few weeks later. Unverified reports from unnamed CSIS sources say that the consulate allegedly sent two busloads of Chinese Canadian seniors to a liberal nomination meetings and uh, voted for Han Dong, the uh, former MP, uh, liberal MP, I uh, just recently resigned. And it says that this, uh, this Chinese Canadian seniors had the name of Han Dong written on their arms, apparently perhaps because they all have Alzheimer's, they couldn't remember who to vote for, so they just write it on their arms. Again, insinuated again, uh, there's no sources, there's no uh, uh, confirmations. And the same sources told Global News, Chinese international students were sent with fake addresses, again, bust in and to support their preferred candidates. But the Global News, who first broke this news, said that, while well, we haven't confirmed the CSIS allegation in this story. What a piece of journalism, isn't it? They get one source, they didn't even not bother to double check if this is true or not, perhaps by first asking the uh, people who are involved in the liberal nomination meeting, go to the neighborhood there, Don Valley North, asking about what's happening. No, they didn't do it at all. They didn't bother to confirm. And even after a month after this story broke, they haven't done anything to verify this at all. Truly a groundbreaking investigative journalism because the media just took the statements of these sources, CSIS forces at face value. And they did not even ask the question, why is why are these sources, the CSIS suddenly leaking this claim? This is quite unprecedented for CSIS to leak things. You know, and in many, in many instances, say things that is actually in contradiction with the federal government. But readers are just expected to believe it. And news like this truly shocked the public. And it is deliberately written. If you look at how it's written, to shock the public, to disorient them, 
to dull people's critical thinking and to create a sense of emergency that Canadian society is under siege by Chinese agents everywhere. The Chinese grannies in Chinatown, international students, suddenly they're all working for Chinese state. This is uh, uh, really shocking to the public, hence the 90% Canadians who are surveyed saying that they are worried about Chinese interference in Canadian society. Yeah, so on, this is quite something else. On CSIS, yes, for secret agents to be anonymously leaking information is quite something else and actually is illegal. Mm-hmm. We should actually hide that. According, uh, according to its own, CSIS's own Security of Information Act, it's supposed to prevent this sort of thing. And now, so does the Globe and Mail and Global News, do they know the identity of these people? Like they must, because why would you then publish a story from them? If I email them saying, hey, I'm a secret CSIS agent, here's publish this story. They're not going to do it unless they verify that I'm actually a CSIS agent. They must know who these people are. <laughs> so this is the, the media breaking the law as well, or co- collab- col- collaborating with lawbreakers. And, you know, normally the conservatives, uh, especially Pierre Polyev, they love, uh, they're all about the law and order. Don't break the law. As soon as anyone breaks the law, mm-hmm. indigenous protesters, environmentalists, uh, you got to come down, law and order, law and order, right? No. He's calling these people brave whistleblowers, <laughs> breaking Canadian law to influence uh, politics with unsubstantiated rumors that have not been verified by the mainstream media, which, um, yeah, you know, and I think, think it will be the too point. Much... This, this is sorry. Go <laughs> it will be too much to call them whistleblowers. I think uh, they are not. I mean, they are CSIS spies, right? Uh, and how can you trust these sources? Because the RCMP themselves cannot even trust these sources to do anything about, about this. They cannot charge anything, despite the insistence of Polyev, despite the insistence of many uh, conservative politicians, and even some liberal politicians that ceases to investigate this, but they cannot. And this is a, a, there's an interview with a security expert and professors at the uh, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Stephanie Carvin, he, he, he was asked about, well, what do you make of these leaks by and these intelligence reports by the CSIS? And he said that, well, information from intelligence services cannot always be trusted or confirmed. He said that. He said, it can give you a picture of what's going on, but the sources don't always give you the 100% truth. And sources are human. They can get things wrong. They can report rumors. They can lie. People who are being wiretapped may know they're being wiretapped, so they can say things that are completely trying to deliberately mislead people. So this is the kind of sources you get from intelligence. It's not actionable evidence that the RCMP have said they cannot pursue anything of this. Uh, But the news media, when first reporting the this did not even consider this, did not even consider the quality of the sources they have. And at least try to explain to uh, the readers that, okay, well, we have this, but this is the nature of CSIS information, unnamed CSIS informations, right? You know, I think you're, if you're a journalist, you should know about your sources, who to trust or not. And I don't think these are whistleblowers. I think it'll be too much to tell them, say that they're whistleblowers as if they have like, you know, a brave, patriotic, you know, agents, you know, but because CSIS is supposed to be neutral and nonpartisan. And yet I think they are actively transforming politics in Canada. And when asked whether you can confirm this, the CSIS spokesperson said, well, we cannot confirm or deny this because doing so will jeopardize our operation. So there you go. So interference, I guess then is China interfering in Canadian elections, Canadian democracy? I guess let's just answer that question. And then, yeah. Well, let's be honest. There probably some interference, but this is actually really, again, the news report tried to abuse, I think, people's naivety about foreign diplomacy. 
this is what foreign diplomacy is. So you have diplomats in foreign countries, you try to cultivate relations, but the CSIS reports try to actually portray that such thing is wrong. Uh, in a, one of the news, the top secret report from CSIS said that CSIS has become increasingly alarm, alarm about efforts by China and its agent to influence and covertly cultivate relationship with elected officials to gain sway over parliamentary debates and government decision making, to build relations and gather information from MPs and senators. So this is portrayed as something which is out of ordinary. And I think it is shocking to lay people who actually have no idea what foreign diplomacy is. But actually, this is normal. This is a task of foreign diplomats to cultivate relationship with politicians, knowing points of support, because you do are there to actually make sure that you can actually build a relationship and push those politicians who are more uh, in line with your interests. I, I, I got a quote here. Uh, read some, uh, let me read something from the American Foreign Service Association website. This is an association in America that uh, sort of the association of all the foreign diplomats in the US. So, so our listeners understand what is actually diplomats do. I quote here, he said, American diplomats pride themselves on coaxing a partner abroad to say yes without leaving a trace of their advocacy efforts. Diplomats meet with all key stakeholders on the most important national security issues. They make the foreign leaders you're talking with think that accepting your policy prescription is their idea. Great diplomats work all day at night, turning every event into useful diplomatic engagement, every meal of the day, cocktails, sports, sightseeing, official meetings. So that's pretty much foreign diplomats, i.e. cultivate relations with elected officials to gain sway over parliamentary debates, to gain sway over government decision-making. And there's really nothing out of ordinary here, but suddenly it is presented as if it's, it's wrong to do so. Uh, it is actually quite accepted for all foreign diplomats to cultivate relationship. That's what they are there. Uh, if this is so wrong, actually, there should actually be demand of making all this counsel that's being named in this all insinuation reports, persona non, non grata. I haven't heard anything about this. Poliev didn't even demand this, just demanding RCMP to investigate. RCMP said, you cannot investigate this. Again, it's not to seek truth. It's to disorient people. So, yeah, I guess you're sort of saying, well, yeah, every government does this sort of thing. It kind of reminds me of Russiagate, where there was all these rumors in the U.S. Uh, the media was just talking about it nonstop for years um, about, yeah, Russian interference. And what it usually amounted to was Russian bots, which do exist, as far as I know, commenting online about Hillary Clinton. Um, most of the stories that I saw that the Russian bots were saying things that were true about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I mean, if your democracy can be influenced by uh, Russian bots online saying true things about somebody, I mean, maybe there's a problem with your democracy. Maybe there's a problem with your democracy. <laughs> maybe there's a problem with the with Hillary Clinton. Maybe she wasn't a very good candidate. Maybe she sucked. Maybe her policies were bad and people didn't like her. And unfortunately, Donald Trump was able to manipulate that. Um, but in Canada, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not exactly like that, but it's similar. It's like, okay, if Canadian democracy can really seriously be impacted by busing Chinese grannies to the polls or to, to, to vote in a riding association to elect a candidate in which they are legally allowed to vote, I mean, okay, is that interference? I guess so. But it's pretty pathetic. It's pretty meaningless. And I bet you there's tons of stuff that happens like this all over the place. Everyone's trying to influence election in minor ways like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is blowing things out of proportion. They try to in, seek a political aim. In the US, we know that there are pro-Israel imperialist politicians who are, of course, in close communication with diplomats and lobbyists from Israel. They know who are pro-Israel. They know who are neutral. They know who are actually perhaps you know, more pro-Palestinian and they tried to portray them as anti-Semitic and they supported all these candidates and that's not electoral interference. It is, but the, the, the issue is also like, this is really hypocrisy at this high degree, right? You know, because 
we we're seeing the Canadian state talking about foreign electoral interference, but Canadian ruling class has not only politically interfered in election, but funded, supported coups and invasion all around the world, either sometimes at the as playing cru crucial role, or in many and in many times actually as a junior partner of the U.S. We always, of course, the Canadian ruling class always follow the U.S. Right? Uh, we can talk about Haiti. For decades, Western imperialists had already interfered politically in Haiti, and Canada played a crucial role. And what is this interference? Like you said, not busing grannies or sending students with fake addresses, but facilitating the armed kidnapping, facilitating the overthrow of the democratically elected president, John Bertrand Aristide, in 2004. Because during the, the, the coup here, 500 Canadian special forces secured the Port of Prince, uh, Port of Prince of Airport, where the US Marines kidnapped RST. And then Canada played a key role in the subsequent occupation of Haiti by quote unquote peacekeeping forces. And this is something which is done deliberately because 13 months before the coup, John Christian's liberal government hosted an international gathering to discuss about overthrowing Haitian president. He actually publicly said, the international community should not have to wake up with our state in power on January 1st, 2004, a year before everything has happened. And that's, yeah, that's a interference to the highest degree. But this is done openly and no one talks about it. Yeah, so this is a key thing we should hit on here. Absolute hypocrisy. Canada, the Canadian government, the Conservative Party, the Liberal Party, CSIS, uh, the secret service there, they're not the ones to be talking about interference. This is ridiculous. Um, yeah, we raised this when the Canadian government was, was talking about the Uyghur, oppression of Uyghurs in China, who are, you know, probably being oppressed. I mean, but the Canada is not the government to be giving them, a, uh, to be criticizing them when Canada has systemically genocided and oppressed indigenous people here mm -hmm. and is doing almost nothing except for performative stuff, you know? So yeah, the sheer hypocrisy. Uh, so Haiti is a good one. You mm -hmm. mentioned not just, yeah, not minor things, overthrowing a democratic elected president who was resisting IMF policies yes. that would have benefited the Canadian ruling class and American ruling class. Yeah. Um, you got, um, uh, well, the Venezuela in Venezuela, yes. Canada was funded Juan Guaido and recognized him as the legitimate president and actually tried to organize a coup, which was quite pathetic. Um, and it failed. But what was that? Yes. Was that election interference or not? Uh, Liberal liberals provided him with $53 million supported Juan Guaido and calling for the overthrow of Maduro, who's democratically elected. And we were told that allegedly, this is another insinuation that's happened, right? Finchan K, the Ontario MPP from the Conservative, were allegedly received $50,000. And this blown out of proportions. Uh, Finchan K forced to resign uh, to become independent. Whereas, yeah, Trudeau Liberals government provided Juan Guaido with $53 million, said it openly, I'm sure there's a receipt somewhere there if we ask for it. <laughs> and this far exceed the supposed funding manipulation by the Chinese government. Again, something that's been uh, talked about without any evidence. Yeah, so I guess on this, one thing that you mentioned, we should be moving along here uh, mm -hmm. to get on to different... One thing that you had mentioned uh, was the social repercussions of this debate. So xenophobia. So there's 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 been a few news stories where Chinese Canadians are worried. There's a Edmonton City Councilor. Uh, I can't remember her name, but she was worried that that they're going to get targeted. Um, and actually, that is, I think it's it's inevitable. Actually, that whipped up. This isn't just playing around. Whipping up animosity, suspicion, and hatred against people of a certain identity. Well, Jesus, we've seen it all before. I saw that in Quebec, where there's been an ongoing debate over so-called secularism. It's really been a smokescreen to attack Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened? Someone took matters into their own hands. Alexandre Bizanet, one of, the great, one of the biggest mass shootings in the history of the country, walked into a mosque and killed a bunch of people when they were praying. 
Um, and this is uh, uh, that type of thing could happen, but we've already seen an increase in uh, anti-Asian racism and in xenophobic crimes uh, in BC in particular, but all over the country. There's been a massive increase even prior to this mm-hmm. um, because there's been a there's been this ongoing debate about China, China, China. Um, we can get into why that is in a minute, but um, and this has social repercussions. There's been people getting attacked. Um, uh, yeah, racist attacks against Chinese people um, all over the country. So yeah, I think uh, um, I don't know. We need to discuss with that. I don't know if you have anything to say about yeah, that. Yeah, this I mean, is a big concern is, that, for everybody. That is true. It's of concern. I, I have uh, friends who are. Chinese friends from Chinese national who are faculty members in in our university, who is very concerned because even before all this in the past one year, there's been push by the government and their media, right? Talking about the dangers of Chinese stealing technology, stealing research uh, from Canadian universities, even the, uh, and then insinuating in a sense that perhaps Chinese researchers in university who actually get tenure or graduate students or PhD students are there to steal technologies, even though they are there to learn and they're contributing to the development of science in all this university. So uh, a lot of my friends are worried about this. And uh, especially last, I think just recently, the Canadian government said that they will actually deny any research where the research is supported or have connection with the Chinese army, Chinese People Liberation Army. Again, no details, but again, this is a things that is being said right now that are actually stoking pernicious xenophobia. And the mainstream liberal media is playing a, a leading role in this. And when this xenophobia turns into anti-Asian violence, as it was, the Islamophobia has become you know, uh, taken up by extreme right-wing individuals this liberal media will suddenly cry crocodile tears. So like, oh, the extremists, the outright, they'll blame Trump, they'll blame Trump-like figures. When it is actually them, since the beginning, building up slowly this anti-Asian sentiment, they as a mainstream media. Now that, and then they will, of course, later blame the working class. White workers are racist, that's why they hate the, Chinese. Well, who's actually providing all the media propaganda to shape the public opinion? And then you will have the ID poll, uh, identity politics academics, follow slavishly. You know, say, see, the white working class is inherently racist. Instead of, again, directing the blame to the deliberate attempt of the ruling class and the media to divide the workers. And this is, again, is uh, uh, divide and conquers. Uh, divert the blame and divide the working class. And and you talk about like, I guess, again, uh, this is a very pernicious role because since I think Trump, I mean, uh, really uh, have that opening shot, right? You know, about America first, really, this is a political effort, right? To divert the blame of the crisis of US capitalism to somehow foreign actors, either immigrants who steal American jobs or workers in China, Mexico, who took away American jobs, as opposed to actually the capitalists who are laying off workers, depressing wages, but now it's the Chinese who are stealing jobs, right? So you have the declining of US capitalism, which we can blame on foreign actors, the declining of Canadian capitalism being blamed on foreign actors. Yeah, it's obviously very concerning uh, and something we need to fight against. leading to is anyone calling this out for what it is i guess is any mainstream political party or force really denouncing this um yeah i don't know you have anything to say about unfortunately no i mean jack mitzing is jumping into the bandwagon uh of condemning the so-called chinese electoral interference instead of actually providing a leadership saying no this is an anti this could actually lead into anti-Asian violence. And it is stoking division amongst the working class. And instead of condemning CSIS as an agent that has always been playing a pernicious dark role in like uh, uh, spying on Tommy Douglas, right? Spying on many activists, 
and you cannot trust the CSIS. CSIS is the state apparatus who also perhaps spying on many left-wing MPs, uh, NDPs, perhaps, you know, uh, trying to find faults in them and use that to attack them. This is this is something that has not been done by uh, the NDP, Jackbit Singh, and then something that hasn't been done as well by the Labour leadership. I haven't heard anything than Labour leadership condemning this. You have le open letters from some academics, number of academics, but nothing yet from the Labour leaders. And this is actually quite concerning that there is no alternative point of view. There's no actually no one actually exposing what this is all about actually, right? This is a question of a sharpening imperialist conflicts between the Western imperialism, US with Canada's junior partner on one hand and the rising Chinese capitalism. This is a trade war at, behind this and it's already building up in the past five years. Yeah, so I mean, I think that leads in right, that leads well into the next point. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this is absolutely it's scandalous that the NDP have actually joined the call for an inquiry into the so-called election interference based on nothing, mm -hmm. based on secret reports from anonymous CSIS agents who are breaking the law. Um, especially considering you had you had briefly mentioned it there that yeah, the precursor to CSIS was was proven to have been spying on. And the RCMP, I believe, was involved as well on uh, Tommy Douglas, who was voted the greatest Canadian <laughs> because he's the father of healthcare. Um, why were they f spying on Tommy Douglas? Well, because the Canadian capitalists don't didn't want free healthcare. They didn't like that, and they found him to be a security risk to the national interests, which for them meant the national interests of the bourgeoisie. So there's the CSIS is not our friend. And if we're talking about interference in elections, guess what? This is interfering in Canadian elections, and it's interfering at home. It's not from China. It's from CSIS and conservative uh, operatives, probably, if you want to call it that. The conservative parties probably have some of these people that are members. They're not neutral, obviously, <laughs> um, and they're leaking this stuff to shape the political debate and, and discourse. And this is interference for sure. It's going to be an issue in the Canadian election, in the next election, damn sure. Um, but yeah, before we get into the, I would like to move on to the point of like, you were kind of touching on in there of like, why this happening, the world, mm. con the context of why there's these uh, debates occurring. It doesn't just come out of nowhere that all of a sudden the last couple of months, there's all this stuff about China. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to take a little short uh, commercial break here. Um, yeah, talk about, uh, well, this is our pod, this is the podcast of uh, Fight Back of Marxist.ca. Uh, the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. But we also have a uh, website, as I mentioned, marxist.ca, and we have a, a paper. We have a bi-week or a fortnightly paper. It comes out every two weeks, Fight Back magazine. Um, and we are currently running a subscription drive. We started, we launched it in January uh, with a goal of getting 350 new subscribers to both to Fight Back and La Riposte Socialiste, our French language newspaper, Marxist paper. Um, and we have had massive success. We're well over, I think we're over 60 something percent of the way there. We're running it until our Congress, which is in just under two months. Um, yeah, and we have uh, 955 Fight Back subscribers, which is, uh, or our goal is to be over a thousand. So we're almost there. You can help us get there. You can go and subscribe to Fight Back Magazine at marxist.ca slash subscribe. And I encourage you to do so. And we have, uh, have 338 Lariposte Socialist subscribers, which is which is a huge increase. We were hovering around a couple hundred Lariposte Socialist subscribers for a long time. And yeah, just in the last week, we have had 40 new subscribers, 29 to Fight Back and 11 to Lariposte Socialist. So I will try to, uh, you guys are making it difficult, but I will read them out <laughs> because I said I would uh, in the past. Um, so yeah, Fight Back subscribers, new Fight Back subscribers, just in the last week, we have Liao, Justin, Piolo, Jesse, Maya, Noah, Leo, Cameron, Zachary, Peter, Sean, Alyssa, Sasha, Timothy, Jordana, Kira, James, Davina, Isabella, Abby, Thong, uh, Renato, William, Alex, Toki, Harrison, Noah, Jameson, and Ronak. So that's, yeah, 29 new five subscribers in just a week. 
Thank you, comrades, supporters, and friends. And I encourage other people to help us. If you're listening to this and you're not a subscriber yet, it's just 30 bucks for 10 issues to get mailed right to your door. And we have, with this subscription drive, which I should mention, we have increased the, pa- the size of the paper with no added cost. Went from 16 pages to 20 pages, and we've added four pages of theory. So yeah, we're, Marxist theory is absolutely essential to understand the world around us, our society. Before you can act, you must think. We must understand why things are the way they are. Um, so yeah, we are doing that for you guys, for everyone here. So subscribe to Fight Back yeah, and get the new expanded uh, uh, issue of the paper. For Ladipo Socialist, we have 11 new subscribers. We have Etienne, Xavier, Lynn, Christian, uh, David, Maxime, Marc-Antoine, Simon, Clément and uh, Adrian and Louise. So thank you, uh, merci beaucoup, uh, camarades, uh, for supporting us, for subscribing to La Riposte Socialist. And I encourage everyone to go to the website, to go to marxist.ca for fightback or marxist.qc.ca for La Riposte Socialist to subscribe to our papers and support our subscription campaign uh, and all of our efforts to build. We're talking about the media manufacturing. <laughs> um, uh, uh, narratives about supposed Chinese interference in the election. Well, this is because the media is owned by a very few individuals. You want to talk about interference in elections? Talk about the fact that the media is owned by actually basically two or three major companies. One company uh, owns actually almost 50% of all media in the country, uh, which also helps us to understand why this is going on. So yeah, th- we, therefore working class people, we need our own media. We need a voice for working class people, a Marxist analysis of the world. And yeah, you should contribute to that and help us out. Um, so yeah, getting it, getting back into it, the supposed Chinese interference in the election I have with me, Ted Sprague. And uh, yeah, we're going to get into context. Why is this happening now? Like all of a sudden, there's been a lot of talk about China, uh, not just from Donald Trump. Donald Trump was on the cutting edge of the China criticism, obviously, but from everybody. It seems like all the liberals are on board. Uh, everybody's on board. But yeah, why is this happening? Ted, you want to speak to this? Yeah. So the Chinese electoral interference, this news, is really tied up to the fact that we have the rise of Chinese capitalism. So like I said before, this whole interference, the work of foreign diplomacy, foreign diplomats to cultivate relationship with this or that politician who they believe could be a point of support to get a more friendly policy passed is something which is normal. What is what is changing here in the past five years is that the interests of Chinese capitalism and Canadian capitalism no longer align. The rise of Chinese capitalism is threatening the imperialist order, the, the current imperialist order that is actually now shaken. With the U.S. imperialism at the top and Canadian imperialism always as its junior partner, and you see also the deep crisis of capitalism is halting, is halting the progress of globalization and is turning it around, and we see the strengthening of protectionism, particularly here protectionism against the rising China, and that's the main thing. And I think this is what readers, uh, listeners to to focus on instead of being disoriented by this barrage of news that actually you cannot make head or tail without actually looking at the background. So let's return to this background that uh, Joel's mentioning. Why is this suddenly happening? Well, when China opened up, I think beginning in the 80s, and picked up quite quickly in terms of opening up the economy to foreign capital in the 2000s, especially after they joined the WTO, Canadian capital poured in greedily into China to exploit the cheap labor. Now, and, and during that period, no one talked about the Tibets, the plight of the Tibetan people, the plights of the Uyghur people. Because why? Because the Canadian ruling class, the U.S. ruling class, get their bottom line fulfilled, right? China was no longer seen as a threat because the bureaucracy of the Chinese Communist Party had embraced capitalism and everyone was making a handsome profit. No one was talking about Taiwan in the eight, starting in the 80s, 90s, all the way to 2000. Again, because everyone was making a handsome profit. But what is the reason of this sudden change of tone in U.S., in Canada, in the Western world in general against China? The fact is Chinese capitalism 
has been able to develop independently of the interests of the Western capitalism. China is just simply not Bangladesh or Indonesia where Canadian companies can just like set up factories there, exploit cheap laborers and have these countries under their thumb and be their client states, exactly what Canadian imperialism have done in, in uh, Latin America, right? Setting up minings and mines and et cetera, and be able to maintain their monopoly and dominance. But that is not the case with Chinese capitalism because it's now able beginning to challenge the dominance of Western capitalism in many sectors. Now, this is not a place to discuss how they're able to do so as opposed to say Bangladesh capitalism, Indonesian capitalism or, or various you know, uh, uh, third world countries. But this is a concern for the US capitalism, for the Western capitalism, for the Canadian capitalism. And this is also happening while capitalism enters into its deepest crisis. The process of globalization is being rolled back. And now every country, every country is trying to protect the interests of their own capitalists, trying to save its own skin. And the first shot was fired by Trump with his America first slogan, even though it's already being prepared even before Trump. You know, uh, the concerns about Chinese dominance have already been talked about even before Trump. But Trump made it clear he fired the first shot. Now, let's be clear. <clears throat> we have the imperialist library sharpening up. But U.S. still remains by far the most powerful imperialist country on the planet. But it is undergoing a long-term relative decline. And its weight in the world economy has been reduced since World War II. In 1945, it represented over 50% of the world GDP. 50% of the world GDP. And that's actually how U.S. become, well, leaders of the world, police of the world, right? But in 1960, it was 40%. By 1980s, reduced to around 25%. It rise around 30% in 2000, especially with the uh, globalization, the opening up of China, uh, the collapse of Soviet Union, et cetera. But then fall back again to 24% since then. Whereas China, well, China is seeing its share of world GDP rising fast. It was just about 1% in 1980s uh, for a country to actually perhaps uh, command like, you know, 20%, uh, 15 to 20% of the population. But now it's increasing. It went into 10% of world GDP in 2013 and over 15% today. I think it's 18% now. So with a much stronger economy, China has played an important role in globalization and become a major capitalist player and is flexing his muscle, is pushing back against US influence in different parts of the world, in Southeast Asia, in the Pacific, in Africa. So, and this is what becoming a development that is truly worrisome for the US ruling class, you know, uh, because having become the second largest economy in the world, I think it's first right now uh, in, uh, in terms of this, the uh, absolute number, it's now also investing huge sums of countries in over 150 countries around the world. We heard that the Belt Road Initiative, I think the most ambitious Chinese foreign investments in building infrastructures, ports, you know, uh, worth billions of dollars. And if you look at the value of Chinese overseas investment, since 2005 combined is has reached $2.2 trillion. And this is about one third of the US total. So it's catching up. And this is a development that is truly worrisome for the US ruling class and for the Western imperialism. And this is, in fact, actually the unavoidable consequences of capitalism. China, as a rising capitalist power, needs to expand its market the same way the US 100, 150 years ago, as a rising capitalist power, needed to, need to expand its market, needed to export its capital. And Marx explained this, I think, a long time ago in Communist Manifesto, capitalism has to settle everywhere. But in doing so, China is encroaching into parts of the world market that used to be dominated by Western capitalism. Because if China simply remains as the source of cheap labor, uh, as just places where Apple and uh, Nike can for build their factories, that would have been fine for everyone, but that is not the case. 
Chinese capitalism is expanding beyond its border at the expense of other imperialist power. And that is the crux of the matter. This is the reason why Western powers are waging a trade war and now a diplomatic war against China to protect the interests of their own capitalists. It started from the, uh, the Huawei controversy, right? The banning of Huawei. Uh, why? Because the Huawei 5G development is outcompeting US companies. It is known to everyone that Huawei 5G products are just cheaper. That's the reality. But the narrative that is being pushed is that Huawei 5G products will be used by the CCP, by the Chinese Communist Party to spy on Americans. This is a, a threat to national security. And the same thing with the current attempt to ban TikTok. The reason given, while the Chinese Communist Party will use TikTok to spy on Americans dancing, you know, <laughs> apparently. Uh, but the main reason is clear. TikTok is outcompeting other social media companies. All the teenagers use TikTok. Who uses Facebook anymore? These this teenagers, so these future consumers, right? Once one uh, statistic says that nearly 70% of American teenagers use the app, while only 30% of the same age group use Facebook. But again, this is portrayed as a threat to national security, a threat to US privacy. And Canada is already followed along, right? It's already banned TikTok apps on the uh, devices of uh, uh, government officials and government employees. Uh, and this is ramping up again, you know, uh, perhaps it will be once uh, US actually banned TikTok altogether, I'm sure Canada will follow suits, right? Again, TikTok is a spying device everywhere. So Western imperialist power are really preparing public opinion for a sharpening conflict against China. You know, the trade war has now become a diplomatic war, a, a, a war for public opinion. You see the balloon incident a couple months ago, right? It's, it's crazy. Suddenly there are balloons everywhere spying people and it creates an atmosphere of, of fear. Now grannies, international students, anyone who's Chinese are potential state actors to steal technologies. And this is, this is quite something. And I mentioned that again, I think before, that there's also a reason why this anti-Chinese xenophobia is being whipped up. It is to divert the blame of the crisis of US capitalism, of Canadian capitalism from, you know, from the ruling class, diverted to the so-called foreign actors. It's the immigrants who steal Canadian jobs. It's the workers in China, in Mexico, who took away good American Canadian jobs. And the declining capitalism in US is blamed on foreign actors. US is no longer competitive, we're told because why? The Chinese stole technology from the U.S. with their armies of spies everywhere. Instead of the fact that U.S. and Canadian companies are sitting on a pile of money, they refuse to invest in productive activities. Mike Karn, uh, then uh, Bank of uh, Governor Bank Canada, chastised Canadian company for sitting on seven hundred billion dollar and not investing it at all, and this which led to stagnation and productivity. And who is to blame? Well, Chinese spy stealing technologies from Canadian companies. And who is to blame for the housing crisis in Canada and the lack of affordable housing in Canada? Chinese buyers, right? Not the fact that real estate companies, construction companies, banks, corporate landlords have monopolies over land and housing, speculate on housing for quick profit, and living working class price out of ever having house. So it is really a tested method of divide and conquer or diverting the blame of the crisis of capitalism to somehow foreign actors. Yeah, thanks, Ted. So that really helps us put in context what's happening here. Uh, it's the decline of U.S. imperialism, U.S. capitalism, which has dominated the world since at least World War II. And uh, on the rise of China, especially in the last number of decades, as a major capitalist power, you provided some numbers. Another one that I have here is in, in just in 2000, uh, five, of, of world trade countries saying who their major trading partner was, only 5% said it was China in 2000. And then in 2020, 
like a few years ago, this rose up to over 60%. Um, in, in 2000, it was, the, it, was the, it was almost the opposite. 60% said it was the US, <laughs> but now, now in 2020, that's fallen to under 40% uh, and actually decreasing, I believe, um, uh, partially due to the Ukraine war, which we can't get into now, but <laughs> it's pushed certain countries further in the direction of China. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is ultimately an economic, uh, at root, there's an economic trade war, imperialist clash, right? Which is why I've seen, I forgot about the damn balloon thing. Like that was freaking, that was ridiculous. That was really ridiculous. Oh, the hullabaloo about that for a few days. Um, on and on about balloons spying. What are they spying on? <laughs> like, what are they, what information is so important that you're going to get it from a balloon, you know? Um, but yeah, and then no, inf and then all of a sudden no information about that. What, what did they find? Do they actually get anything? I, I read something that the missile that they used to down the balloon was like so damn expensive. They could have bought, they could have provided homes and education for a whole bunch of Americans. So if you want to talk about uh, actual interest, uh, whose interests are at stake here, it's definitely not interests of regular working class people in Canada or America. This is the interests of the ru ruling class. So yeah, this is an at root an imperialist conflict, which is which always has its reflection in a diplomatic social in and in the social political sphere because they have to get uh um consent for what they're doing <laughs> and actually it serves the interests of politicians you have a collapse of the establishment you have a collapse in support for the mainstream parties actually people do not support they don't their living conditions have been declining there's rising inflation. Wages are not going up. They're going down in real wages. People are getting angry. It serves the interests of the capitalist politicians, both liberal and conservatives, doesn't matter what party you're in, to promote this sort of stuff, to divide and distract people from the real issue. I think you said it the best there. Um, yeah, and ultimately scapegoat. And we've seen, we've already talked about that a bit. We've seen what scapegoats actually, uh, what it actually leads to. It doesn't lead to good things. And so I think we'll say with the with the media, with the liberals, with the conservatives, uh, they're going to have blood on their hands here. You know, they're creating a, a whipped up racist sentiment against Chinese people uh, in Canada. And so, yeah, I think it is, uh, I guess, I mean, that's the context of why this is happening. I hope everyone can see that. There's a lot more reading you can do about that. Um, on our website, marxist.ca. Um, we have articles on the imperialist conflict on, uh, yeah, on marxist.com. There's articles there as well, talking about the international situation. Um, yeah, actually our uh, world perspectives this year, which we are discussing currently, is available publicly on marxist.com and it specifically discusses this issue as the major uh, factor in world politics and it's, it's affecting every country. Um, but obviously Canada's proximity to the US, we're kind of just, you know, we're, we're almost, this, it's all, it's very similar politically, you know, we're dragged along on every little thing. So, um, yeah, I guess we can end off here. We've been talking for almost an hour. I can, we can end off in here. Well, what do we do? What do we do about it? We're not just here to talk about this. This is a concerning situation. It's, uh, in which CSIS is illegally leaking information to the media who are, uh, who are not doing good journalism, not verifying anything, who have then whipped up a campaign of hysteria around Chinese interference, which, which if true, what they're saying, it doesn't really amount to much. I think we've, we've demonstrated that. So, so either way, it's like kind of like way blown out of proportion to just basically shape public opinion. Um, so this is public, this is interference illegally in Canadian politics by this, by CSIS. But yeah, what do we do about this? I guess I don't know, Ted. You want to say a few words about that, and then I can we can finish off here. Yes, I think really what we're seeing is that there's an effort to now bolster public support for Canadian imperialism against Chinese capitalism. The capitalist state is mobilizing all their apparatus from the thesis to the so-called neutral media, which is clear is not neutral, to create a xenophobic atmosphere against China and the Chinese people. And the Canadian working class must reject and must fight against this political manipulation of CSIS and the media. And the labor movement must take a lead in denouncing this poisonous racist campaign and to provide a perspective, an explanation about why this is happening. It cannot sit on a sideline. Unfortunately, I haven't read anything from the labor leaders, labor movement, 
denouncing this. You have already had letters from some academics, but that is not the same as labor movement taking a lead on this because the crisis of capitalism is sharpening imperialist conflicts. And whenever you see imperialist conflicts, you've seen that in World War I, World War II, right? The Japanese uh, uh, internment in Canada and US, they all said, we're not gonna do this again. We learned our lesson. Now they're preparing for that. They are preparing for that. They're not learning any lessons for that. Now, later on, they will cry crocodile tears when anti-Asian violence happened. Uh, so this sharpening imperialist complex is spewing out poison of racism and xenophobia. But there is one force that can put an end to this racism, to this xenophobia, to this imperialist complex that actually at roots of this. And that is the world working class. That is the unity of the world working class because the Canadian, the American, the European and the Chinese working class have really no interest in fighting against each other. Our task, our task as a Marxist, I think, is really to stand out, especially in this period, as internationalists. Point out that there is a common interest of all workers in fighting against their own national ruling class. The real enemy is at home. And CSIS is that enemy that cannot be trusted by the labor movement, by the working class, by the NDP. And we're seeing the crisis of capitalism, radicalizing the youth and the workers. And the CSIS manipulation is trying to divert this radicalization uh, of youth and workers to China. This is what has been said in one of the reports, the secret report here, uh, that he said that the CSIS is becoming uh, worried that the foreign interference efforts include reducing the public trust in democratic institution, increasing polarization and lowering trust in the media. So now this, this crisis actually in the democratic institution in uh, the polarization and lowering trust in the media suddenly is because of China. But no, we not. it's not because of China, it's because there is a crisis of capitalism, right? You have a crisis of, a, a crisis of a cost of living, inflation shooting up everywhere. Workers and young people are being affected. And this is preparing for the ground for intensified class struggle that is now trying to be sidelined into chauvinism, xenophobia, and racism. We're seeing, already seeing increasing strike activity in one country another, after another. We're seeing what's happening in France right now, unfolding very quickly in Germany. In Canada itself, you're already seeing an increasing in the strike activity because this is pushing more and more people into actions. And there is actually a reason why this, this manipulation by the media and CSIS is being unleashed now, you know, on one part because of the sharpening imperialist conflicts, but another way is to divert the class struggle into this, uh, this xenophobic argument. But in the concluding words of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in the Communist Manifesto, the proletarians really have nothing to lose, but they're changed and they have the world to win. Working men of all countries unite. This is the call that we always have to put forward as a Marxist and internationalist to fight against the xenophobia, the racism that is now being spewed out by the media, by the CSIS, you know, uh, by the government and the, the, the Canadian ruling class. Yeah, so I, it is in the interest of Canadian, of the, of the labor movement to fight against this, um, to, to oppose it because it divides working class people. Uh, and and it, this, is, this is fomented by the ruling class by, and by CSIS. And CSIS is, it is also in the interest of the labor movement to oppose CSIS because CSIS is a direct threat to the labor movement. CSIS has spied, we already mentioned, the precursors to CSIS spied on Tommy Douglas. CSIS has spied on the Canadian Union of uh, uh, Postal Workers. CSIS has spied on Black Lives Matter. <laughs> um, this, on environmental activists, on indigenous activists. This is, uh, this is a danger to the whole left, to the whole movement. CSIS should not be trusted. They are class enemies. They're an element of the bourgeois state, of the capitalist state. Um, and that is why they exist. And this is why they're doing this to protect the interests of Canadian capitalism. So yeah, the labor movement, working class people, uh, we have an interest in opposing this, this campaign, um, which I hope we have laid out what the purpose of this uh, media campaign uh, around so-called Chinese interference is. So yeah, we are internationalists um, and we are class fighters. We believe that the, the real enemy is not China, 
It's not Russia. <laughs> it's not someone overseas that you never see. It's someone here in our own country that we know. We know who they are. We know their names. Their profits are published. <laughs> and they're, and actually, your wage is, you're listening to this, your wage is going down while their profits are going up. Maybe there's a correlation between that. And maybe they're also the same people that want you to believe that the re that the real enemy uh, is a Chinese, yeah, foreign exchange student <laughs> being hired uh, to work in an election campaign. They didn't say Chinese operative. They just said that they're Chinese. This is just racism. Um, yeah, so the real enemy is at home. It is our own ruling class and their own capitalist state that... Uh, but yeah, we have we have nothing in common with that. So yeah, we uh, I guess you know workers of the world unite, um, and we should fight against capitalism uh, and the ruling class in our country first and foremost uh, in the fight for 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 international socialist revolution. You have been listening to this week in the Canadian Revolution, where we analyze the events of the class struggle the turbulence and polarization brought upon by the crisis of the capitalist system in order to prepare activists for the coming revolutionary events so that we can fight back and build socialism in our lifetime. You can find us at marxist.ca and we will be doing this podcast every week. So we hope that you tune in again.